You know, one of the things that I think we all feel at some time in our life is that we, we don't quite measure up. We, we, we kind of haven't got what it takes. We don't fit. Uh, we're the unpopular kid in class. We're the, uh, the socially challenged kid, whatever. There's, there's always a situation, isn't there, where we don't feel like we're not, we haven't got what we need to have. And uh, we can have a look around, can't we? And we look around at other people and uh, we, we see these other people and they're kind of like superstar Christians and superstar businessmen and, they, they, you know, they're great at this and great at that. And we, and we look at these people and we go, man, I wish I was that person. I wish, I, I wish that was me. And, uh, you know, I, I, even though I'm a pastor... And I'm going to tell you why that's not right in a minute. Even though I'm a pastor, I often, in at times in my life, have felt like that. Still do sometimes. You feel like, I'm, I'm not up to this. I haven't got what it takes. I don't know what to do next. I haven't got a, a solution for this. If only I was somebody else, I'd be able to do that. And, uh, Chavalu, you know, we, we, we were on holiday the last few weeks. If you, you Well, you probably didn't notice because we weren't here, but we were on holiday. And... Uh, one of the things we wanted to do on holiday was get some lots of exercise. So we were out for a walk every day. So you'd be very proud of us. We, we did the, the mileage and got our steps in and all that sort of stuff. And uh, it made no difference whatsoever because we kept eating more. But, <laughs> but you know, we, we, at least we're fitter, even if we're not slimmer. And uh, on one of these walks last week, Cheryl, uh, as she's prone to do, decided that she was going to talk to me. I'm thinking, like, don't talk to me when I'm going up a hill. You know, it's like... And anyway, so she asked me this, this question, because uh, we were kind of mulling over life and what we wanted to do in the future and things like that. And she said, so what did you want to do when you were a teenager? What, what, what was your goals? What was it that you, you really wanted to achieve in life? And have you done it? And of course, when somebody asks you things like that, you go, well, I'm not really sure. So you have to think about it. So by the time we got to the top of the hill, I thought about it and thought, well, Here's, here's what I think I wanted to do in life. And so, I mean, don't laugh. <laughs> but here's what I wanted to do when I was a teenager. The first thing I wanted to do was get off the council estate I lived on. And the reason I wanted to do that was not that I had a problem with it, but the fact that other people had a problem that I lived on a council estate and they didn't want to be my friends because I lived on a council estate and they didn't. And, you know, their mums and their dads had said, don't play with that kid because he's from the council estate and you're not and you don't mix with people like that. And so I remember from a really early age thinking, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the person that nobody wants to be friends with because of where I live. And uh, so that, I guess that had a good side to it because it made me work hard at school and it made me keep pushing. And it was only when kind of I, I met Jesus that I started to get past that issue. And realise that, that although other people might not value who I was, at least God did. But here's the other two things I wanted to do. So, I wanted to run for England. Okay, so don't, I know that was the bit I meant don't laugh. But I didn't always used to be this shape or this size. Uh, you know, I got to a really high level uh, of athletics. I was a 400 metre runner. And uh, so I was the, the, the kind of generation, and, and my peers who made it were people like Steve Cram, Chris Matt George, Peter Elliott, all of who either won Commonwealth medals or um, Olympic medals. And uh, 
in fact, I, I remember Steve Cram spilling his ice cream over me at an English schools event because uh, Cumbria used to sit next to Durham and Northumberland, so we, we used to know each other and we used to compete against each other in the Northern League. I didn't compete against him, but you know how, how it was. But I was never quite good enough. And so when it came to league meetings, I would win. When it came to kind of the really, really top level, I didn't quite get there. I was the, I was the guy that came fourth when there was only three medals at, at the you know, national championships and things like that. And so I didn't quite make it. And the other thing I wanted to do was to help others. And uh, that, for me, translated in I wanted to be a doctor because I thought that would help others. And uh, many of you know that I actually did go to medical school. Um, and uh, I, I did a year and it wasn't for me. I just, this isn't what I want to do. And so I didn't quite do that either. So I look, I look back and I go, well, what did I achieve uh, of those things? Did I succeed? Did I fail? Am I, you know, have I kind of got to this age of my life and it's, I haven't done what I set out to? You see, here's the thing. When I think about those and, and say the, the thing like running for England or whatever, when I look at that, it's easy, and this is how it translates in my mind, to go, I failed to do what I set out to do. So all the medals I did win, and all the races I won, and all the records I set, they kind of disappear against that one thing I didn't do. The one thing where I didn't measure up. And we, we, we've got a tendency to do that in our lives, haven't we? we? We've got a tendency to look at all the things that we didn't manage instead of the good things that we did manage. And so I, I was thinking about this, and, and that's where the idea for, for what I'm going to talk about came from this morning. And uh, we're going to kind of look at this over the next few weeks. But perhaps you, you kind of feel a bit like that sometimes. You feel like there's lots of things you didn't actually achieve that you wanted to achieve, or you look at things that you'd like to do and you feel like you can't quite measure up and you can't quite make it. And, uh, and this thing called comparison comes in. Because left to our own devices, we, we kind of tend to think, well, actually, I've done all right. I've done okay. But when we compare ourselves to others, we always find there's some people who, 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 we, who we kind of think, well, they didn't make it at all. And then there's other people, and you go, God, I wish I was that person, and I could have done more. And we have this thing called comparison. And my goal today, and um, for the rest of this series, is set you free from the curse of comparison. Now, that's a big challenge, isn't it? To set ourselves free from this curse of comparison. You see, it's easy to be satisfied with your life until you compare it to someone else's life. And you'll always find somebody else's life that looks better than yours. And the, the, the fastest way, like, like, you know, when I look at the, my running or the fact that I had a successful career as an accountant, which I, I probably wouldn't have had as a doctor, you know, the fastest way that you can kill something special is to compare it to something else. The fastest way you're going to kill the special things in your life is to compare them to some, something else or somebody else. And, and we need to wake up to that because that's the thing that the enemy uses. And the, the, the truth is that it's so common and so uh, 
pervasive that we think it's normal to feel like that. It's ingrained in our society because competition and comparison is ingrained in our society. And you, whether you realise it or not, and most of the time we don't realise it, are constantly being manipulated by comparison in order to behave in certain ways, to buy certain things and to do certain things. So the, the, the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. And the, the problem is this, wherever comparison begins, contentment ends. I don't know if you realise that. Wherever comparison begins, contentment ends. And uh, I, I, you know, when you're on holiday and it gets the evening, you kind of sit down. And I watched a few things on, uh, on my iPad. And I, I'm watching this series, um, and it, it's on Sky Go. And uh, when you're on Sky Go, it uh, puts adverts in. And there's this advert that came up every single time. And I don't know if any of you have seen it, because I don't know if it's on normal TV or if it's just on Sky Go. But it, it's for this, it's for this uh, makeup stuff called Super Nudes. And I'm thinking, Super Nudes. And, and, it, and it, it's kind of the most irritating advert I have ever come across. Sorry, online, etc., etc., online advertising and all that sort of stuff. Whatever I need to do, I repent. But it's like this, there's this thing and it goes, super nude, super you. And it, and it shows all these uh, apparently glamorous women putting this makeup on and super nudes is your superpower. And I'm thinking, what a load of rubbish. And yet we've got this stuff that is getting us to compare ourselves to these people and go, if only you, you super nudes, you could be a superpower and, and, and your world would change. And I'm thinking, man, if I used super nudes, I'd look weird. <laughs> but it's just not true, is it? But it sells. And here's the thing, it sells to you. And it sells to me. And we go, well, that's just stupid, isn't it? And yes, we know we're stupid, but we still do it. Because I want a superpower. You know, I want to, I want to, ever, ever since I was a kid and I correct American superhero comics, I wanted a superpower. And there it was, I just need to buy some makeup and, and look like a glamorous supermodel. And it's just not going to happen, is it? So I'm going to have to find a different superpower. I was kind of hoping it was chocolate, but apparently not either. You, you know... <clears throat> You know, you might find yourself in all sorts of situations. You might find yourself and you think, man, I'm the one that doesn't get invited. I'm the one that doesn't get invited to things. I'm, I'm the one, you know, everybody else seems to qualify and I don't qualify. There's something about me. Everybody else seems to get this and I, I, I'm, I'm the one exception to these rules of me. I just don't get it. Um, you know, everybody else is, is seemingly out there enjoying themselves and you look on Facebook and you go, I'm not there. All my friends are there and I'm not there. Maybe they're not my friends. And, and you know, even, even when we're kids and you, you get these, these things where you, you pick your teams at football and you go like, I'm the one that wasn't picked. I'm the one that didn't get chosen. I'm the one that is last in line. And, and, and those sort of things, they have this effect on us. And it's because we're comparing. And you see, here's the thing about God. He doesn't compare you to anybody. When God looks at you 
and he looks at any single one of you. So when he looks at Penny, when he looks at, at Tory, when he looks at Paul, when he looks at Rob, he sees Jesus. You all look the same. He, he loves all the little nuances of Jesus that you've got, but he's not comparing you to anybody because he made you you and you're precious as you. And the enemy gets in and gets you to compare you to somebody else and want what they are and who they are and how they are and all the rest of it. Why? Because if he can stop you being you, he'll stop the purpose that Jesus has for you. And that's really important. The, the, the problem that we have is even though I experienced that as a kid and, you know, I, I guess people have experienced that right through history. Although, you know, there is a, we, we visited an, a couple of years ago, we went out to see my son, in, he was at university in Chicago. And when we were out there, we went to visit the Amish community at Shipshawana. And one of the things you find out about this, the, the Amish is you've all got their pictures of the, the, the beards and the hats and the little black buggies and the horses and no cars and all that sort of stuff. But one of the things that, that they do is that when their, their kids get to the age of 18, they are not allowed to stay. They send them out into the world for a couple of years and they let them make the choice about whether they want to be part of this community or not. And virtually every kid comes back. Why? Because they're content and happy. And here's the thing. They're not using super new superpower. And they don't have all the stuff that we think would make us happy. And they're not comparing themselves to anybody else because everybody's the same. And so they're content. And the problem that we have now is that those things that we might have experienced when we were younger, and I experienced when I was younger, it's amplified. It's amplified because we have this thing that didn't exist 15 years ago called social media. And I'll just give you a couple of little facts. Um, this was a, like a two, and this shocked me. So around the world, everybody, there's approximately 4 billion people now on the internet who've, uh, and even if people haven't directed the internet, there's kind of another 2 billion who have mobile phones of some description. Even in the poorest countries, people have mobile phones where they can get access to these things, even if it's not every day. So you've got all these people, let's say five and a half, six billion people around the world, and they, they, they did this big uh, research project for, for the phone companies. And this is what they found. Across the world, all those people, on average, so this is the average, so there's some people less than this, and you go, that's me, okay? You're, you're the virtuous one. So as I say this, you're going to compare yourself to this number. But on average... Across all these five and a bit billion people, the average time spent on the internet is 136 minutes a day. That's two and a bit hours across the planet spent on the internet. And not just on the internet, that's not the internet as a whole, because we all use that for work. That's social media. 136 minutes on average across the planet on social media a day, 24-7, seven days a week, four or five weeks a month, 12 months a year. I find that shocking. Because when you were a kid, 
when I was a kid on that, on that council estate, there was like 10 people I'd like to be my friends. Now, I'm presented with thousands of people who all want to be my friends because I might click like on one of their pictures. This research project, here's, what, here's what one of the, this was for the Royal Society of Public Health, that's a, that's a research project, here's what it says. Social media undoubtedly offers benefits for society by providing access and connection to people, services, information, opportunities that previously would not have been possible. So it's a good thing. However, evidence is growing, particularly in adolescents' mental health, of an association between greater social media use and higher depressive and anxiety scores. Poor sleep, low self-esteem, and body image concerns. You see, in, it used to be that in the real world, you compared yourself to a few people. There was, there, there was always, I come from a place called Kendall, and, and the, the council estate I lived in was in a kind of dip. And up at the top of the dip, there was this, well, you, you go back now and you go, I, I just don't know what the fuss was. But there was the posher people who lived on this road called Windermere Road. And, and they kind of looked down into this dip where the, the council kids were. And, but there was only a few of those. But now I have a, limited, a limitless pool of people to compare myself against. And so the, the, the problem now for us in trying to, to be who Christ made us to be and get rid of that curse of comparison is the things amplified now. And... Uh, What's happened, this, this research was saying, the, the, the issue is this, that what was in the 1970s and 1980s and part of the 90s, techniques that we used for marketing and advertising, across social media, individuals and companies now use those same techniques, not for, for marketing and advertising still, but they use those same manipulative techniques to grow profiles on social media and manipulate their relationships. So through social media, people in general were found to be manipulating their relationships in order to get approval of people that they wanted to get approval from. So that they would compare well. I don't know if you've, you've got any friends on Facebook. Um, we all have if we're on Facebook. Uh, Dennis apparently got hacked this week, so he has multiple friends on multiple Facebooks, which he, which is not bad, you know, techno tech Dennis. Um, but the thing is that the, the the real challenge is that most of those you're not seeing the person. You're seeing these things applied in order so they can compare themselves well with you. Why am I telling you all that? Because when we compare, the thing we are doing is we are comparing ourselves either so we find people who are less than us. You know, when, when people used to say, if you're having a bad time, people used to say to me, well, there's people worse off than you. Did that help you? Well, apparently, in your secret place, in your bedroom, when you're on Facebook, it does help you because you can find loads of people who are worse off than you and it does make you feel better. It releases chemicals that make you feel better. And, and then there's a lot of people that you also find on there that make you feel worse. No, you're on twice, Dennis. 
Three times, is he? Three times, three profiles he's got. And here's the thing about comparison. Why do we do comparison? Because comparison will either make us feel superior, which is what we want. Why? Because we get a dopamine hit from it. Every time you count your likes, apparently you get a dopamine hit. That's kind of cool. You could get high off Facebook. But, you know, you, you, we do it so we can feel superior, but we end up often feeling inferior. And whether, you know, comparison makes us feel superior or comparison makes us feel inferior, neither of those honour God. God. God, understand that. Whether we, we end up feeling great about ourselves or worse about ourselves, none of them, through comparison, none of it honours God. And here's the other thing. Comparison that either make you feel superior or inferior, neither of that, neither of those outcomes is actually good for you because you're going to end up either miserable or full of pride. And, and it's just an unhealthy thing that, that gives us these problems with, with, with comparison. So here's what, what God says about it. I'm going to look at three verses today. And, and I'm only going to look at three verses. You can, you can open your Bibles. If you haven't already, you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm going to look at verse 26 to 28. I'll just read it to you quickly. For you, you see your calling. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church in Corinth, to ordinary people in the church in Corinth. You see your calling, brethren, that not many wise are called to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God's chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God's chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. So if you feel like, I just don't measure, I don't fit, I'm just, I wish I was that other person, I'm the last one to be picked, I'm the one that doesn't get invited, I don't feel people really care about me, they make a fuss of other people who don't care about me, I don't feel like I can really be successful. If you're that person, then what you need to know is that you were bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you are his. And that means you were chosen by God. God delights in choosing those who are unlikely to do something significant in order to do something significant. So it, 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 it's this weird upside down thing where God is picking those who see themselves as insignificant in order to do something significant through them for the kingdom that will show the world his glory. Because when the body of Christ mobilizes, when this church mobilizes, when we mobilize, when I mobilize, we take the kingdom of God to people. And pe the people that we take it to are going, there's no way I want to listen to those guys. There's no way I'm going to be, you know, any part of that. What, what, what's that, that, that ordinary common person got to say to somebody like me, particularly me, the intellectually superior person from Cambridge. Like, what, what have you... What, here's, here's the thing. In 
the year 2000. So I've got a, a friend here who I haven't seen for 40 years. So we, we kind of grew up in the same youth club, uh, went for lunch at each other's houses, and uh, we, we kind of rediscovered each other. So uh, I guess about eight, 10 weeks ago, and Angela found me on Susie's Facebook, and Susie was a friend of Angela's at university. So we haven't seen each other for 40 years. And the thing is that we, I'm from the north. And, you know, when you're from the north, there is a bit, you don't feel it down here because you're from the south, but when you're from the north, there's a bit of intellectual superiority goes on amongst you southerners. And, and God bizarrely sent me, with my very refined, cultured accent and approach to life, to Cambridge to do his work in Cambridge. And you go like, God, you are so silly. Like, could you not pick a posh southerner with a bit, like the brain the size of a planet? Why do you send me? Why? Because God delights in doing unlikely things to unlikely people for his glory. That's why. And, and you know, we, we, we can all think like that. You see, here's a, you've got this, um, how can I put it? It is the most likely person to be important for the kingdom is the most unlikely person in the world. The most li unlikely person to be important for the kingdom is the most unlikely person in the world. So, have a look at yourself. Like, look at your knees, look at whatever. I mean, I know you can't see your own face. But get your mirror out if you want to. And say, I am likely to be important for the kingdom. Just, just say that out loud. I am likely to be important for the kingdom. Because God delights in using the unlikely. I am likely to be important for the kingdom. What, why, what, what proof of that? Well, you could pick loads of, in next week I'm starting the, the Back to the Book series on Jonah. Really unlikely guy to be important for the kingdom. This, but the, the, I guess the prime example is the person who wrote this letter. The Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul, he's brought up from like when he was in nappies, to be the, the rabbi of rabbis. He's trained by the foremost rabbi of his day, Gamaliel. Nobody knows the law like Paul. Nobody tries to follow the law like Paul. Nobody's as good at following the law like Paul. And God calls him, God picks him, knocks him off his horse and says, you're going to preach grace and get rid of that law. The most unlikely person in the world gets picked to do what God wants him to do. And it, that's the way God works. So the more we, the more we, we realise that we're kind of the unlikely people, the more we're qualified to be just knocked off our horses and used by God. And here's the thing. This is now translating in your heads but as, yeah, but it won't be me. Why not? God changed the world through 12 very unlikely people, one of whom ended up committing suicide because he betrayed Jesus. So we only ended up with 11. And that was Jesus. Why not you? Why, why, why not you? Why, can't, why are you not going to share your, your story and, and, and talk to people about Jesus? Why are you not going to pay for people and see them heal? Why not you? Because there are things that every believer can do and it's possible for every believer because we all have the same saviour. We all have the same Holy Spirit living in us. Here's why it won't be you. 
Because it's not you, it's Jesus in you. And because that, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, man nor woman, uh, happy, you know, stand, high standing, low standing, uh, intellectual, non-intellectual, there's none of those. All the barriers come down, why? Because the kingdom's about Jesus in you. And that, that's what he's talking about here. And he said, if Jesus gets to operate in you, the world is going to laugh. They are not going to understand until his kingdom hits them like a truck and gets their life changed. They're not going to understand. They're going to laugh. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to say, guys, you can't believe that stuff these days. You know, we have a God in Cambridge. He's called Darwin. How can you believe that stuff? How, 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 we have a God. He's called Stephen Hawking. How can you believe what you do? Same way as you believe what you do without evidence. And yet, I believe what I do because it's an historically proven fact that Jesus Christ came to earth, he died and he rose again. And that's where my faith stands. Not in, in anything else, but in a saviour who I've met and I know and he's living in me. And so the world might laugh but the world doesn't know what it's facing right now. And the world doesn't know what's coming because the body of Christ is going to start moving in this nation. So we, we get these people, we get the what, let's, let's just go through them quickly. We get the wise, the wise people. Who sees themselves as a wise person? Anybody want to volunteer for wise in here? Probably a good thing because the wise means those, these are people that God doesn't choose. So if we were choosing, you know, just on purely worldly terms, you would choose the wise, wouldn't you? You would choose those who are knowledgeable, those who had big social standing, those who were born into the right family, those who had loads of money, those who had loads of influence. That's who we would choose, left to our own devices, to run the kingdom. And the mistake we can sometimes make as a church is to still work on that basis. And yet God says, I specifically do not choose those people. Now that doesn't mean there aren't some of those people who are in the kingdom and very valuable to the kingdom. And I'll explain that in a minute. But here's the thing. What are the wise? The wise are those who possess special insights. These are what the Greek word means. Uh, it's often used to portray highly educated people. Scientists, philosophers, teachers, university professors, we would put that into our, our, our logic these days. Um, basically, the word is sophos, and it means people who are intellectually impressive. And we can get kind of overawed by that, going, they must know what they're talking about. And I, I kind of like, over the years when I was at university and stuff that, when I was doing research in, at work and so I would read a lot of these, these, these papers. I still read some theology papers and some uh, philosophy things. And here's the thing, I, I, I'm baffled sometimes about actually what people do think. Because most of the time, all they're doing is quoting a series of other people who think like them and say, this paper said that, so therefore I must be right too. And... It seems to me that's kind of often a circular process. 
referring to other people in order to corroborate what you think. And these are the, the, these are the intellectual people that he's talking about, people who were moving circles where they're regarded as intellectual, but they can't, but, but their pride is in how other intellectuals see them. And God's saying, I can't use people like that. I can't use people like that. And then there's the mighty. What that word mighty is, it means power or ability. And in this context, it means politically mighty, socially mighty. You know, that ranging from, uh, you know, people in government, uh, people in authority, to the lady who seems to organise everything in the village and everybody has to look up to her or she won't organise anything. You know, that sort of person. And, 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 and God said, you know, someone who is high and mighty in the world view. And where I come from, high and mighty is not a compliment. My mum used to say, now don't get so high and mighty. You know, she used to bring you back down to your level. And here's the point. You do not have to be high and mighty to do things for the kingdom and get things done for the kingdom. All you need is not position, it is anointing. And the two are really different. What about these, these other people that he refers to, these noble people? So you've got these noble people and God says, I'm not choosing them either. What are they? They, they are well-born, excellent in lineage and got good genes. That's not diesel genes or Levi genes. It's the, you know, the, the breeding genes. And that, that's kind of what he's referring to. And God isn't about whether you're upper crust or lower crust. He's about the filling in the middle, which is his anointing. And that's what he's concerned about. And that's what he's looking for. He's looking for people's hearts. And the reason that, that some people like this, the Apostle Paul, for example, get used mightily by the kingdom because Paul was wise. Paul was intellectual. Paul had all the right standing. Paul came from the right family. Jew of Jew, Hebrew of Hebrews, all the rest of it. He gets used, but he's the exception. Why? Because people who look down on believers and people who laugh at believers, God can't use because their hearts aren't in the right place. And Paul, uh, Paul's heart was changed. The same as your heart was changed. And, and, and people who, use, who look down on, on believers don't understand that at all. They don't get it. Because their comparison point is their standing. Their comparison point is their intellectual ability. Their comparison point is their level of influence, their level of power, their level of uh, being able to uh, be a mover and shaker. And they don't get us. Here's the thing. Don't let people like that make you feel small. Because in the kingdom of God, you are a giant. And they don't get it. You know, I sometimes think, well, I kind of like to sit there. You know, this isn't very godly, but I like kind of like to go, you don't know what you are dealing with. You just have no clue why you can't touch me, why you can't affect me. You have no clue what's coming to you. But if you don't get a clue, what's coming to you will still come the same. And you don't know, and you're laughing at me, and I'm offering you salvation. But one day you will know. One day you will know. And one day you won't be laughing. Because on that day you'll be bowing the knee to Jesus just like everybody else. 
So if you want to live significantly for the kingdom, we've got to move away from this comparison thing. We've got to stop looking at what we haven't got and start looking at what he has got. Listen to that. Stop looking at what we haven't got. Start looking at what he has got. Because he will equip you for what he's called you to. See, Yeah, God's chosen the humble and he resists the proud. It should be really clear to us, shouldn't it? Be humble. Be humble. But not comparing yourself to the proud. <laughs> comparing yourself and knowing that everything we have comes through him. And it's him that does it all. So here's what the world will think of you. And you have to stop thinking of you. The world thinks you're foolish. Now that word there, foolish, is the word we get the word moron from. So the world looks at believers and it looks at these faith people and it looks at these people that take God at his word and trust him to see lives saved, bodies healed, people set free, people delivered, and all the rest of it. And it looks at us and we say, I'm not fearful. I'm not fearful. My God's more than enough for this. And he looks at us and he goes, you're crazy. You're, you're on the level of a moron. If only you knew what I know, you wouldn't be so confident. And I'm going, man, if only you knew what I knew, you'd be on your knees. Praising Jesus. And, and that's the thing, you see, they, they look as foolish. And the point is, no one's an idiot in God's view. Everyone is special and chosen. But the truth is that the world has turned upside down the value system that God wants us to live by. And that's why we get these problems. That's why we feel like we don't measure. We feel like we don't fit. We feel like we're inadequate. And here's, here's what Paul says. He's saying, he has chosen people just like you. Just like Jackie and Peter Smith. Even when Peter's got his turkey hat on at Christmas. You know, he's chosen people like you. He, he, he's chosen Stephen Tuttleby. He's chosen people like Catty. Uh, and Sarah, and, and he's chosen you to do something. And he's chosen you to confound all those people who look down on you and think you're small and show them just how big he is. You see that word when he says confound, it means to embarrass, to baffle. And so he's chosen you, unique you, incomparable you, to confound, to embarrass, and to baffle all those people who think you're not worth anything. Here's where I want to finish. I believe that God is saying to us something really important. That there's kind of a, with all this, like, pandemic and all the rest of it and this reset button which will eventually reset totally see at the moment things are fluid we're not fully reset and we don't know what what it'll be like when it is fully reset 
But God's saying, Here, what, here's how I want you to come out of this. I want you to come out of it without this curse of comparison. But I also, when that reset button finally sets, moves from its jelly state it now is where it wobbles all the time, and fully sets, when he does that, I want you to be a people, I want you to be a child of mine who won't let the world tell the church what works and doesn't. Because I want to tell the church what works. Because if you listen to the world, they're going to come up with all the intellectual, mighty, powerful, influential, all the rest of it. And the, that mitigates against God being able to fill us with his spirit. So it's time, folks, to stop letting the world tell us how to run our church in the body of Christ. It's time to stop the world telling us what we can and can't do as believers in this nation. It's time to stop the world shutting our mouths and telling us we can't talk about our saviour. That's like asking somebody to not talk about the person that they love most in the world. But it's not just like it, it is it. We, we've accepted so much of the wise and the intellectual. And it's time for us to change. It's time to stop us comparing ourselves with people outside the kingdom and people inside the kingdom and saying we don't measure up. And instead to see who Christ sees in us, which is he's chosen us, However foolish we look, however crazy we look, however stupid we look, however low-born we are, however upper crust, lower crust, whatever crust, he's only interested in your filling. And he's interested in you changing lives around you. He has fully qualified you the moment he adopted you into his family. And as a member of his family, you have access to all the riches of that family and all the power of that family, all the influence of that family. So world and you, if you want to compare yourself, if you want to look at something, start looking at what you have. You have the riches of heaven behind you. You have the resources of heaven. You have the power of God. You have the blessing of the new covenant. You have, you have life. You have uh, freedom you have the anointing of the holy spirit and everybody in the world can look at that and compare themselves to that and they will not measure up and jesus is right now waiting for you to put everybody in the place where the enemies are made a footstool at his feet and everybody looks up to jesus in comparison and bows their knee Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We glorify you, Jesus. I just want you to do something. I want you to kind of 
just think of some of the things where you've compared yourself unfavorably to others. Here's what I want you to do with them. It's kind of like a, a thing. I want you to, this might look a bit weird, but go for it anyway. I want you to shake them off. Yeah, like Roger. Bit, bit more energy than Roger, but that kind of sort of thing there. Shake them off. Just get rid of them. Jesus, we lay those at the foot of the cross and we recognize that by that comparison, none of it honored you. None of it glorified you. And we lay it right down. We lay it right down at your feet. Here's the thing I want you to say. I refuse to pick it up ever again. You don't sound very enthusiastic about this. I refuse to pick it up ever again. Lord, I turn my eyes, my thoughts, everything to you, and I thank you that you took me from where I am, where I was, and you gave me new life. You took away my guilt. You took away all the, all the rubbish and you adopted me into your family. Not as some sort of minion, which is kind of what I deserved, but you adopted me into your family. Not even as a servant, but as a son, as a daughter. A co-heir with Christ. And you adopted me into your family. And you say, Lord, all, everything that I have has always been yours. Come, receive it now. Receive it now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.